the 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 ones that I think are the craziest are like there will be like a video game donkey video and it'll come out and then there's like Asmongold reacts to video game donkey and it's like this is a a video that's like scripted and edited and like very carefully put together and it's seven minutes long and then the Asmongold YouTube video will be like nine minutes long reacting to it so it's almost entirely just like this scripted like comedy video. And it will have like as many views as the the original video. It's just like stolen content. I I have simply elected to not engage with YouTube or its algorithm as best I can. Smart. A genius of our I watch time. Twitch, which isn't much better. Well, it's crazy. Like I spend so much time watching stuff on Twitch and also being on Twitch now. But like the front page of Twitch is just like an alien landscape. It's really to me. bad. <laughs> Uh, and it, I hate that it auto plays, and it's always like the most random game that I don't care about. Like it's not scripted at all. Like I just opened Twitch right now, and it's some, I think it's football, some football game that I'm clearly never ever gonna watch, which I had to immediately pause so I can't confirm that it's football because otherwise it would blare my ears out because it's like on the highest volume in autoplay. Yeah, and if you ever do click one of those, then it'll decide like that's what you're into, despite your like hundreds of hours of watching magic streams. Yeah. About magic and fighting games of various sorts, and that's all that Twitch should ever recommend. Yeah, you know, I certainly get nervous. Like if I pull up Twitch at, while I'm like in my like grad student office, because I'm like the last thing I want is for it to like recommend me something weird and sus looking with a bunch of my peers right there. Like the girl who does body painting, and the thumbnail is just always her boobs. Yeah. But like, it, it looks like bare boobs I'm, because it's I, just I'm like, like I promise you, I just want to go like watch Gabe Nassif and like banter with my dad in Gabe Nassif's <laughs> chat. I, I swear to God, I use other websites for boobs. Not like this is the weirdest choice of website if that's what you want to do. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 310 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. And Joy- <laughs> Did you gasp? No, go ahead. I did, yeah, because we have a special guest. <laughs> we do have a special guest. Joining us on the line, we have Pro Tour champion Jake Beardsley. Jake, how is it going? You know, it's the night before Pro Tour Deck submission, so it sure is going. <laughs> I mean, well, we're we're chuffed. I think you're the first Pro Tour champion we've ever had on this podcast, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, not just Pro Tour Deck submission, right? This is Worlds Deck submission. Yeah, it like it. It almost. I'm just forcing myself to like think about it as a Pro Tour because somehow that makes it less nerve wracking. I guess. <laughs> it's like it's just a pro sure, tour sure. even though it's half the people and twice the stakes yeah but it's like it's still just it, it is like for gameplay purposes for like what what you're doing day of like it really is just a pro tour but the stakes of like the fact that you can tell people that you won the world championship versus one like to tell normal people that like i feel like that's all obviously the much larger share of money per person is a big deal but also like it's really cool to be world champion that's my secret i just don't interact with normal people 
Okay, well then, yeah, that's true. <laughs> then maybe it doesn't matter that much. So you're already world famous. <laughs> well, Jake, I figured that uh, we would talk about your preparation, your thoughts on the format, where you've ended up on things, uh, anything that you don't feel comfortable talking about, obviously fine, but this episode will come out after deck submission and we can delay it like a little bit longer if it makes sense to. If you talked about like specific sideboarding thoughts or anything and you think maybe it'd be better if this comes out after round one of the tournament or something like that, like we can we can do that if it comes down to it. So. Sure. Thank I, I appreciate that. I, I'm... I mean, I'm happy to sort of just talk about whatever. I, I'm generally feeling okay about my spot for the tournament overall. Like, I mean, I'm not necessarily gonna, gonna go ahead and say like, oh, I, I, I broke it or my team broke it because I don't necessarily, right. I, I don't necessarily believe that, but I mean, I'm probably wrong. I, I'm working with a bunch of Magic players who are all way better than I am, so they probably broke it, and I am too stubborn to believe it. <laughs> well, why don't you, rather than going straight into the the like cards and decks themselves, uh, can you just tell us like who you've been working with and kind of like what that prep process for Worlds has been like? Yeah, of course. So, um, I'm working with Team Sanctival again. They're who I wor uh, worked with for uh, Pro Tour of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, mainly headed by Kane Reinhardt and Rainy Burchett. They're the two um, kind of head honchos, captains, whatever you want to call them. And in addition to them, we're working with uh, Brad Schlesinger and um, Matt Foreman, who got f I think first and second, respectively, in da at the Dallas Regionals. Then we've also got a couple other people uh, who are not uh, qualified for worlds that are just kind of helping out with filling out drafts and mm -hmm. sort of playing villain with with standard playtesting. It's been uh, once again a really good experience. I I really like the group. Uh, I think uh, in general we work pretty well together and have have come to a lot of uh, uh, a lot of good conclusions about the the two formats uh going into the tournament i'm i mean i'm not gonna necessarily like i said i i don't know that i'm going in thinking oh we have some secret some huge secret that that we're gonna break the tournament wide open with but i don't that also just isn't how i approach the game in general i'm not i'm not necessarily the best at just like building something up from the ground or, or breaking it so to speak i'm much more comfortable taking something that's a little bit more defined and and tuning it for an expected metagame sure uh how has have you prepared for like split format tournaments before especially like like a constructed and limited split i mean i guess you prepared for the pro tour but uh so i guess this is kind of the same experience as that we've got constructed and draft uh is there anything like kind of different this time around or or you know how how is the balancing limited and constructed been so th there is one key difference i can think i guess one and a half key differences one the constructed uh, the sets of constructed rounds are smaller than they are at, uh, at a pro tour. It's three rounds of draft and four rounds of constructed on Saturday and on Friday, uh, as opposed to three and five, the way that pro tours normally are. So I've tried to right bias that percentage back towards limited a little bit because there's a greater, uh, emphasis on limited in terms of percentage of rounds. Um, so I've mm -hmm. tried to focus a little bit more on limited. I also think I've focused a little bit more on limited 
inadvertently, uh, or I guess subconsciously, vertently. However, I don't, I don't know that that's a word, but you know, that's it's <laughs> fine, it's fine. Um, mostly because I've I've enjoyed this limited format a, a decent amount. I, I certainly like it more than I liked. Uh, Lord of the Rings Limited, and conversely, I like this constructed format appreciably, appreciably less than I like modern. So I've I think just done okay. more limited sure. testing by virtue of oh I th I'm having fun I want to keep doing this. One of the best ways to to test yeah exactly. I mean I, I see people talk about their testing all the time, and for a long time it was a joke where you know the modern Pro Tour would roll around again and be like, nothing had changed, so I'm just going to keep draft as my testing. <laughs> <laughs> there is a balance to strike, but like making sure that you're having fun preparing for the tournament is kind of an important part of like continuing to enjoy playing Magic at a high level. So I, I don't think you're like wrong to let, let yourself get biased a little bit by what's fun to do. I guess just generally what, you know, the first world championship... What are you looking forward to at the tournament? And, you know, is there anything that you're a little bit nervous about? Anything that you don't really know what to expect or, or you know, what was your thought process going into this thing? Um, so mostly what I'm mostly what I'm thinking about is treat it like just just I'm trying to treat it the same as I did the 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 Pritcher in Barcelona. Right. It's similarly structured. The caliber of player is obviously going to be even higher this time than it was then, or at least in in theory, I guess. I'm obviously excited to get to play against even more really, really good Magic players. And that's even coming off of getting demolished by Kai and getting to play against Gab Nassif and getting to play against Calcano twice. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm excited to play against more people that, I mean, I, most of these are people that I grew up watching just because I've been I've been around the game for for so much of my life that I I, I got to I remember hearing about I, I remember reading uh like before I would go to bed I would look through my dad's old duelist magazines and so like just getting to play against some of these people that I remember being like nine years old and like oh that's oh that's cool I can't believe they played Mahamodi Jin back then that card sucks <laughs> <laughs> but. Did you see the the modern deck the other day? Oh, the um the old school modern <laughs> overlap deck. Lee, did you see this? Somebody took brought a deck to a modern tournament that was like all uh like old school legal cards. So it was like, you know, basic islands, basic mountains, psionic blasts counterspell <laughs> Mahomoody Jin. Dragon. Yeah, it also just had four Blood Moons in it, so they got two match wins. Hell yeah. <laughs> Blood Moons, sickos everywhere. Praying to draw two islands. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Is there any, like, impact that, like, coming off of a Pro Tour win kind of has on your, like, do you feel like you... Do you feel like this is a free roll? Do you feel like you kind of want to like prove that that wasn't like a fluke? Do you have any sort of like pressure left over from that? Or is it just like, yeah, I want a pro tour. I don't really need to do anything else, but it would be nice to. So I, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of my mentality about it going into it is like, I, I, I want a pro tour. That's obviously like a, a big deal. But on the other hand, I'm still like, I, I, I went to an RCQ a couple weekends ago just to hang out with my brother at 
said RCQ and see a bunch of people I know. And, and I almost like still identify with that group a little bit more just because, I mean, that like mm-hmm. I, I went for I, I got to sort of live the dream that Watsy set up with this new structure. Right. I wanted RCQ. I qualified in RC. I qualified for the Pro Tour and then won. Uh, I'm still like sort of thinking, oh, I'm definitely like an underdog i'm definitely one of the worst or not worst players isn't the right word to use but it's like i i certainly don't have i don't feel that i'm a, uh, you have a less storied experience yeah history, yeah basically it's not like you know you have your kai buddies and your gabe nasives and your jake beardsley it's just like it's, it's different uh, yeah and so like i've been telling people like and obviously this is somewhat of a um minimization but just like I won 15 out of 18 coin flips and that like mm-hmm. I'm studying, I, I'm a stats grad student. I know that that's not likely to happen, but I also know that that's more likely to happen than you think it is. And so it, I right. I just won a bunch of coin flips. It happened. And now I'm here and I'm hoping to win more coin flips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to wait, wait the coin a little bit. Anything you yeah. can do to wait that coin, just like a couple of percent. And so I'm not, like, necessarily thinking, like, oh, there's a ton of pressure on me just because I want a pro tour, or it's a complete free roll and I don't feel like I have anything left to prove. Like, no, I, I would obviously love to show people that, like, I'm more than just that guy who kept having scam in his opener. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, if I, at the end of the day, if that's all that ever happens as far as a Magic career goes, deal, I want a pro tour. Yeah. yeah hard, hard to hate when the the cash that gets checked. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. I guess we should talk about the actual cards and formats then. Uh, so this is going to be the first relevant standard tournament since a couple of pro tours ago, I guess. Like this, you know, last time I paid any attention to standard, it was all Rakdos mirrors. And uh, we're several sets past that. Have not played a ton of standard since then. Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Reckoner Bankbuster got banned in the meantime. So we've got some different stuff going on. We got a, a cat situation. <laughs> that is Grease Fang. He's, uh, yeah. he has oh. energy. Your, your, your boy cat's named after a girl mouse. <laughs> so he, he has like a snaggle tooth. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and we were trying to come up with a name. Oh, oh, are we, are we, we're receiving a, we're receiving a package. <laughs> yeah yeah all right so where's the tooth oh i see I oh see. my goodness oh, wow. no way he um, looks like a cartoon character <laughs> that's incredible so sorry for all the podcast listeners out there <laughs> well we'll make a tiktok out of it it's fine we're trying to come up with a name for him and uh claire was like well what about fang we could be like edgy with it and i'm like can we call <laughs> him fang and make it short for grease fang <laughs> i'm also now currently in talks to try and convince her that the next one's name is beans mm-hmm. short for up Legit. the beanstalk <laughs> <laughs> did you see the the beans kitten on twitter yes, I did. someone found a kitten at a game store yeah. named beans that was a perfect name bean all right, but standard. Um, so standard. That's <laughs> <laughs> a fine derail. Yeah, so we're in a very different format from the last time we really paid any attention to standard. And 
we have not had a rotation because we are in the process of incorporating, like stretching from two to three year standard. And, you know, what is what's the format like now? I guess, you know, what are kind of the the defining cards in the format? And then what are what are the decks that they're they're making up? What What's kind of popping up the most? And, and what do you I, well, well, I guess we'll get into what you like and don't like after going over just like what exists. Yeah, you got to break it down in real simple terms, because I think most people have not paid attention to standard at all. Uh, and I know myself, I only know moderately people complaining about like Golgari midrange being all over arena or the cascade decks that look super cool. That's like all I know about standard. That's it. <laughs> sure. So um, I would say that standard as it currently exists is held up by a couple different pillars. On one side, you have the triomes, right? New Capenna didn't rotate and the triomes make your mana kind of obscene. Uh, I certainly view like all of the three to five color soupish decks as one pillar, um, ranging from the Cascade deck to maybe the more traditional like topiary stomper uh, ramp decks that are looking to make like Atraxas and Herd Migrations. You have another um, set of decks that are built around uh, some combination of Wedding Announcement and Shieldred, right? We saw those in the previous standard, or we saw those in, like, standard as we saw it beforehand, that the Wedding Announcement white-based mid-range decks and the Shieldred black-based mid-range decks sort of bled a little bit into each other with stuff like Esper Legends as well. Um, and then the third, and what I would say is probably the most important card in standard, is Make Disappear. Just having a having a playable two-mana counterspell that you can surround, that with pieces to surround it with, uh, especially stuff like Fairy Mastermind, so you have these cards that you, that, um, reward you for holding up mana anyway, right? You hold up your mana to make disappear something, they don't play something worth make disappearing, you can play your Mastermind. Those sorts of blue-based, blue like, tempo or aggro decks, like, you have soldiers, you have the Esper, the mid-rangier Esper decks, even Grixis to a certain extent, like the Make Disappear decks also sort of bleed into those Wedding Announcement Shieldred decks. But those are sort of the big things that I would say you have to compete with. There's obviously other things on the, like, other things around it that don't necessarily fit in there, like Mono Red. But I would say that I would, I, when I was looking at decks to play in this event, I really wanted a good reason not to register either a bunch of different triomes and leyline binding or make disappear. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So these are kind of like defining poles of the metagame. You've got your, like, I can play a ton of colors because of how these lands work. It's something that we've seen a bunch of times in a bunch of different formats, or I can play like these very efficient sort of like the two mana counterspell that is playable flash threats and just efficient creatures and stuff around it uh does seem like you know one one pole of that metagame is really difficult for a deck that's trying to cast a, a wooberg enchantment as or a wooberg battle as its entire game plan to 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 really have success into yeah. <laughs> so i don't know you know we have we've heard some complaining about the uh invasion of alara deck i I, I find myself skeptical that that's going to be the the unbeatable deck going into a world championship. Yeah, I I wanted that deck to be good, right? It, it I I certainly I started off the tournament or started off my like constructed prep looking for, hey, is there a deck that feels like I'm playing a different format? 
right? It, you, I, that's one of the ways I try and approach, like, competitive magic as a whole. Is there a deck that lets me, like, play the next format up? Scan felt a little bit like Legacy, and right, we've <laughs> seen the scan package even take over Legacy a little bit. Last weekend's challenge, uh, Medvedev top-aided with a Boros Convoke deck with uh, Knight Errant and mm -hmm. uh, Gleeful Demolition and the new Imidane's Recruiter that's like a Bushwhacker, essentially. And I was like, oh, th this looks yeah. this looks like the sort of thing that I want to be doing. It It's really aggressive, has a great nut draw. It is even less consistent than quote-unquote Hogak was previously. <laughs> so I'm... I am not, uh, spoiler, I am not registering Imidane's Recruiter at Worlds. But I certainly tried. Unless it's in the draft format. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah it's really good and limited. That card is great yeah. there. But in yeah, the constructed portion, it is not there. That makes sense. You know, those are kind of the general broad strokes of the format. As far as, like, specific archetypes, do you have any idea, like, what the composition of the tournament is? is it's kind of gonna be like I, I don't know how good of a sense it's even possible to get of like what the standard metagame is given that we have like underpopulated standard challenges and like no other tournaments like how how defined of a sense of the format do you feel like you have very little i mean we have some some estimations like from the couple of uh bigger japanese open tournaments that have happened in the last couple of weekends but nothing that is super clearly defined, I guess. Um, the three, the three decks that we that that I really specifically was looking to be able to beat were Esper piles of some sort that are just playing all three of those: Mick Disappear, Shieldred, and Wedding Announcement. Those those sorts of three efficient mid range year pillars: Mono Red and Ramp. I think that those three decks, if you can have two good matchups in one close matchup or or something along those lines, I'm half that's that's where I was looking to be given the expected metagame. I think stuff like the Cascade deck and Golgari Midrange that you mentioned are on a on a lower tier and are going to see a lower tier of representation, just because I think that the mid-range deck has a serious problem with ramp. It's just so easy to go over the top of the blossoming tortoise deck. And the Cascade deck has some inherent consistency issues, and if you cast Disdainful Stroke, they mostly lose. So I don't think we're going to see those decks um, show up with the same numbers. I got a little bit caught up in, like, is this is this right? When I was looking at the Golgari lists and saw that, like, oh, it's like four-mana mid-range threat is a 3-3 three, three that puts a land into play. Like, is that really what we're doing on four mana in this deck? Like, I, I get the joke with, like, Mishra's Foundry and right. Ress's Cottage, and I think, like, I, it certainly looks really strong if you're in a mid-range mirror and you just get to, like, spend three or four mana and make eight power worth of lands. But... Sure. I, I don't necessarily think that's really what the format is about, especially like play. I, I tested a fair amount of Dimir fairies for the mm -hmm. event because I, I liked the way the deck looked. I liked the way the deck played and it beat it beat the mid rangier and rampier decks pretty, pretty efficiently. Right. You you your cards are more efficient than them and you have you have really good disruption the the tortoise version I found was not at all hard for the fairies deck to beat, 
The problem, I guess, with the fairies deck was if you made your mid-range deck, just you cut your tortoises and you lowered it to the ground a little bit more with evolved sleepers. They played turn one evolved sleeper and you're like, hmm, I don't know that I can beat that card. Hmm. Okay. So just maybe a little more focused version of the mid-range deck could could be a, a threat in the metagame. I, I certainly think that that's like that was a direction I wanted to go in. But then conversely, you have the problem with the ramp deck and the ramp deck has a problem mm-hmm. with fairies. But then fairies like only sort of has a problem with mid-range, but it can't beat mono red. And it was a lot of the decks in the format had this problem where the right one of those three pillars that I mentioned ramp, esper and mono red. One of those was just completely unfixable, if not more than that, gotcha. like for for fairies, for example, esper was probably like a 40 to 45 percent matchup for fairies mono red was completely untenable and then the (laughs) the ramp deck was like somewhere between like a 60 to 70 percent matchup but it was like i can't like yeah i'm gonna beat the people that register ramp but i'm sure there are gonna be people that are like i'm not playing tron i'm not i don't want to play the tron equivalent in this tournament so i'm not gonna like right there are a lot of people especially with like ramp and mono red that just like don't want to register those decks regardless of if they're good or not and so i didn't want to just be like oh i'm gonna play a deck to beat up on ramp because i think everyone's gonna play ramp because i don't think that like especially at this level there are a lot of people who aren't good who who really want to bias towards playing the the decks that give them agency which i think i think that's good for a lot of players right if you're if you're the best player in the world play the deck that lets you be better than everyone else but i am not the best player in the world so i don't want any agency <laughs> understandable i and and it's also not you know i i think that one of the key things too is like yeah, that urge is very strong. And so then when the best deck is Rakdos, like Rakdos midrange, like we saw at the last standard pro tour, uh, a lot of the best players are just going to go ahead and register the Rakdos midrange deck and try to play a couple cards that like give them a little more agency, give them a heads up in the mirror. And then we see stuff like Chandra and uh, Light Up the Night. Yeah. Yeah. Chandra Light of the Night. We see Breach the Multiverse. We just see these like very intelligent breaker cards that let you win win these like midrange mirrors. And that is a place that a lot of people are going to go to. But like, you know, a ramp deck, an aggro deck is a ramp deck is an aggro deck and it is harder to adapt them to get like significant percentage points in mirrors or something like that. They, they just, they are what they are in a way that isn't quite the same when a mid range deck is the obvious, like the, the clear front runner in the format. So with that said, like where would you kind of like rank the main archetypes? And then I guess we, we get into like what you chose to bring as your weapon of choice and why. So, you know, is, I, I guess we can just sort of run down through it. Like mono red, uh, aggro decks have struggled in standard for a while is the mono red deck real and good is is that one you expect to see a fair bit of at the tournament i think that the mono i think that the mono red deck is good i think that the mono red deck has a couple of structural flaws in that your burn is not very good you're relying on your creatures to do most of the heavy lifting and I think in general, when we've seen red succeed, especially in standard, but even going back to older formats, that rarely is it like, 
or not rarely, but a lot of the time it's because you have really good access to reach. Like, the burn deck that you'll Larson one Pro Tour Magic Origins with. Your exquisite mm -hmm. Firecraft Stoke the Flames deck. Those were the cards that were doing the heavy lifting. Martin Dang's Atarka Red deck. You're winning, not necessarily with your creatures, but because you're going Become Immense into Team or Battle Rage. That sort of approach, uh, I mean, even, like, there are exceptions with, like, the Hazaret red decks, but I think Hazaret is a power level outlier for standard, rather than... You also, you also have to keep in mind that mono red deck, about half the cards you just couldn't block. So, it, they're just doing creatures, and you have your on-crop crashers and your whatever. Yeah, exactly. Just killing them. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think with this deck, you have, like, I think Godric is a, is a very big upgrade to the deck, I think Godric's, like, honestly, Godric to me is the reason you want to be in Mono Red, but past that, like, you've got your Lightning Strikes and your Play With Fires, and some of them have adapted Monstrous Rage as a way to to, to burst through sort of like the Teamer Battle Rage was, but it, it, like, your creatures are all just kind of grizzly bears with haste um, at a certain point, and I, I don't mm -hmm. think that that's especially good, and I I am a, I'm, I love aggro decks, I really wanted to play Mono Red, the problem that I found with Mono Red, and ultimately the reason that that I'm I'm gonna uh, go ahead and be pl I'm playing Ramp. Um, I'm playing uh, mm -hmm. something more like the four color controlish Ramp deck with the Archangels of Wrath and uh, Sunfalls and and Drag to the Bottom. There are just so many cards in that deck that say gain life on them. That the mono red sure. deck has like you're playing a bunch of virtue of persistence. You're playing a bunch of herd migration. You're playing a bunch of archangel of wrath. You if you resolve an atraxa and they don't have a uh like an active tree. I think like the new one's twisted fealty. Like if they don't steal it immediately and kill you with it, the atraxa wins the game. So you just have so many incidental ways to gain life in the ramp deck that I think it's actually 50-50 if not favored for ramp. And if your aggro deck isn't beating the ramp deck, why are you playing the aggro deck? Like that's right. You're yeah. you're you're going with that usual paradigm of the ramp deck beats the mid range deck, the mid range deck beats the aggro deck, the aggro deck beats the ramp deck. But if the ramp decks, I, I think beating the mid range decks, certainly it's it's crushing the non blue ones. And I think it's fifty fifty, if not maybe a little ahead against the the even the blue mid range decks with the counter spells. And it's beating up the aggro decks, then I, I don't see a reason to play. Right, it it checks that box of it has a favorable matchup against red and esper, and has a fifty fifty against ramp because it's the mirror. And and there are some sure. tweaks that you can. There are some tweaks that we've made that I think that uh, I think we've made some some meaningful tweaks to help the mirror because I think that that is going to be a popular choice at the tournament. It, right, if for no other reason that I know Willie Adel has been doing it well with it on Magic Online, like, every weekend. If my understanding is correct, I think he's qualified and playing in Worlds. So, right, that's... We've got one example right there, and we're probably not going to get many more examples, and one out of 110 is, a, is, is obviously not a, a super meaningful number, but <laughs> if, if he's bringing it, there's a decent chance that some of the other South American players that work with him might bring it, and, and then you're looking at uh, a starting to see a sizable percentage of, um, of ramp players in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, right. The card for me that was the biggest, and you know, this is old technology now, but the kind of discovery of Archangel of Wrath as part, like an integral part of the ramp deck is like, oh, this thing does everything. Like it kills a planeswalker when it comes into play. And often the mid range deck, like their whole plan against you is like, 
I got to ultimate this Liliana. I don't know how I'm going to win other than that. Um, so it like does that. It gains you a bunch of life. If they don't kill it immediately, it gains you more life than any aggro deck can ever deal. Uh, yeah, that 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 Mar weird Mardu Angel is a really nice one that that is important in a ton of the non mirror matchups. Some of my favorite games involve turn one Triome, turn two Bramble Familiar, turn three Archangel Go. Yeah. Here's my three, like, four. The, the red deck can't beat that. And like some it, it's it's sized appropriately that even some of the mid-range decks just like have a hard time with it. Where it's just like it's to, just it, to, Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, they just like have to kind of like figure out how to stumble around it until they can answer it. And so having it also being evasive and having three power makes it really nice with invasion of Zendikar. Definitely key. So you were saying that you made some tweaks for the mirror. Not, I don't know what you feel comfortable talking about, but definitely interested in any technology that you think is going to make a difference there. I mean, this isn't the most exciting piece of technology in the world, but <laughs> it, it isn't something other people were doing, I think, as much as maybe they should. Um, mm -hmm. We're playing more Elish Norns because Solid. if you play it, a lot of, like, you're, you're pretty heavily incentivized to move Wrath of Gods out again in the ramp mirror and but then if you stick an elish norn the game ends because the the, the right. player who doesn't have norn in play they their deck just no longer functions yeah you can't lay line binding it you can't resolve and attracts a trigger you can't ramp with invasion of zendikar like your cards just just don't do the things that they're supposed to do anymore and so like it i mean nothing terribly innovative um there are a couple other tweaks that we made to the deck that help a little bit in other spots too. Like we're playing Lithomantic Barrage instead of Cut Down in the sideboard to beat the because like as far as as far as our experience goes, the mono red matchups already good enough without Cut Down. Then hmm. you can th th then you want to focus on just having a super clean answer to Rafine. And Lithomantic Barrage, of course, for anyone who isn't familiar with Standard, because. You know, probably most of our listeners yeah. are not the most. Lithomantic Barrage cannot be countered, so Ward doesn't tax it at all. So it is just a one mana kill spell for Rafine, which is one of the biggest, you know, aggressive mid range threats in the format. It's kind of like a rending volley for this standard format. It is a sorcery, though, which sucks. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any, like, I don't think it's come up really that five versus four matters. At least not in in the testing that specifically I've done there. I'm sure that there's something that I'm missing, but yeah, <laughs> I think rending volley is mostly a significantly better card. But you know, it's not legal, so we play what we can. Uh, what are you? I guess you know what what matchups are you the most worried about? Like, what do you not want to see playing the ramp deck in this tournament? Soldiers can be pretty tricky. They are the most aggressive make disappear deck. And so they're the most capable of punishing, like, your your kind of clunky starts that can just happen by virtue of playing a ramp deck. I don't want to play against Dimir Fairies, but I don't think there are going to be very many people playing Dimir Fairies. Yeah, why, why don't you think many people are going to be playing Dimir Fairies? Because in my mind, that seems like a deck people would gravitate to in Worlds. Is it just a little too weak, or...? There are a couple problems with fairies. One, you need your mediocre fairies to turn your mediocre instants and sorceries into good instants and sorceries. And so there is some inherent inconsistency in the deck. Um, B, it, it has just like... 
it doesn't really do anything all that powerful even when it is working, other than it's, like, super top percentage of draws. It, um, like, you can certainly have the games where you go, like, Sleep Curse Fairy into Counter Your Spell into Thought Seize You Flash Out My Other Fairy into Kaido. Those are going to be draws that, that are pretty hard for anyone to beat, but there are also a lot of draws where you're just like, I'm going to mulligan my seven into three lands, fairy vandal, kaido, thoughtsies that I can't play until turn three at the earliest. And so you don't do anything on turn one. You play a one-two on turn two and hope they don't have cut down. You hope <laughs> your kaido sticks and you get to draw a card, and then you thoughtsies them on turn four, maybe. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. It's a little different from the, like... I, like, you know, Lorwyn standard fairies was like, Bitter Blossom turns on all your stuff. But the way that it does that is like, your cards are all acceptable in the format. And then if you have Bitter Blossom, your cards are all completely insane in the format. And I think that we've kind of, you know, when it's like, yes, when you have Sleep Cursed Fairy, all of your cards are above rate, but not unbeatable necessarily. And when you don't have Sleep Cursed Fairy, um, some of your cards don't even quite have text. Yeah, it... One of the things that I did f that I did find when working on the deck is quick study is actually like the most important card in the deck, which was really <laughs> exciting to me because just like instant speed divination almost feels quaint at this point. So I was really yes. excited that it was like a card that you could put in your deck. You really need a critical mass of things that say draw a card on them for that deck to work. And there are a, a decent number of ways to disrupt that, right? I mean, it... It, the deck has the same um, problem with Lithomantic Barrage that every other blue-based creature deck does. So Barrage provides a problem. You have some trouble against the more aggressive decks just because your removal relies on you having a fairy and your, uh, your fairies aren't necessarily all that great on defense. Like, the Fairies deck does just kind of inherently have a problem of it's not all that good at playing from behind. Most Delverish decks have that problem, but this one felt especially glaring, I guess, because you, you're behind and you draw Kaido, and that's not fixing anything. Yeah. I can imagine having my board being wiped by, you know, Sunfall or whatever, and then drawing a card that needs a Fairy to be good. I'm like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> Uh, and I, I think it does hurt, like, not not to be piling on, obviously, like, you know, there, there, there's no reason to just, like, kick this deck while it's out or anything. But I do think that one thing that you should be aware of while deck building in the format is if you're going to play a creature deck that's not Esper, don't run into the sideboard cards that are already good against Esper. Like, try to be doing something that at least dodges the, the things that people are doing to beat the other creature decks. Are there any modified creatures in the fairy deck other than Shieldred? Some ver so there are a bunch of different versions, and that's another almost issue with the fairies deck, is there are just enough things that you can justify putting in the fairies deck that it's not clear what the right way to build the fairies deck is. Um, some versions sure. play Shieldred in the main, some versions play it in the side, some versions don't play it at all, some versions play the one-mana black fairy that surveils on ETB... Some versions play Fairy Vandal instead. It, there's there's a bunch of different versions, and they're all almost the same. <laughs> it's not like you're you're just mixing and matching. Yeah. Basically, you're not like getting meaningful options yeah. out of this. So, is there anything 
that you wish is there any like archetype that was like promising that you like had to put down that maybe you like wish you had more time to develop or any dark horses that like maybe somebody figured out and you just you know weren't able to put the time into i am so glad that you asked this because i have a very <laughs> i i have a, i have a solid answer for this Hell yeah. um nice i will uh i will link you all the deck list because this is this is worth uh this is worth looking at <laughs> i've been thinking yeah. about those beans Oh, oh hell yeah! God. Okay. <laughs> um, let me. Where is it? It's it's from one of the league dumps. Here it is. It is Abzan Beanstalk Control. Beautiful. We love that. Oh god, there are no it creatures is a in this delight. deck. There are no creatures in this deck. That's <laughs> correct. We love four March of Otherworldly Light, four March of Wretched Sorrow, aka like Solitude and fury i guess i don't know what if what these are the standard analogs of exactly but solitude and winning what this... grief should have been <laughs> winning this game with uh sunfall tokens or white sun's twilight tokens or whatever creatures your opponent has in their graveyard or mirix that's all you need uh, I, yes. I actually experimented or, or with cutting win conditions from the deck there are <laughs> a bunch of i i think that this deck is is quite strong in that I found that it actually had a pretty good ramp matchup because they just run out of things that can kill you, and then you just activate Myrix enough that they die. Um, I found it had a really good mono red matchup because once it's similar to the ramp deck, a bunch of your cards just say gain life, and if you ever march for, like, more than four, you probably win the game. I tested uh, initial versions that had, like, White Sun's Twilight, or, no, this one had White Sun, no, um, Union of the Third Path, the draw card the super revitalize yeah um, yeah you gain life equal to the number of cards in your hand is, is yeah. what that is yeah yep. don't ask me why i know the text of that card you just like turn three i'll gain seven and draw a card and fog you for a turn and a half until i can resolve my sunfall i was testing a version that had skrell's hives in the sideboard as like a juke and i thought about <laughs> moving them to the main deck because having eight two mana enchantments that win the game in air quotes on their own mm -hmm. actually felt really strong and there didn't it didn't feel like there was enough there were enough like Lorens or whatever to interact with them flying around that that you would just like answer everything they did and bury them with the beanstalk or you would just like play a turn two Skrell's Hive and no one is really equipped to beat that right now I, I also if I had more time would try and revisit Selesnia Toxic why is that so the toxic match, the toxic deck was decent into Esper, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, and its problem was Rakdos. That that there a lot of the cards that Rakdos and Grixis played, Gix's command and Vampire's Vengeance specifically were what beat up on the toxic deck. And I think a lot of those have left the format. Whereas and and I don't think the ramp deck is really equipped to beat Skrelv into Jawbone Duelist the same way. Um, but I, I just didn't have time to see if there were anything anything that had come out in the last two or three sets that meaningfully improved it. It's tough, because you're certainly not going to get any threats that meaningfully improve yeah. the Toxic yeah. deck. I don't necessarily know that I would have ended up saying, oh, this deck is actually good again, but I think that, that removing its biggest predator is is something that may have been worth investigating in. 
maybe someone will show up registering a bunch of Skrull's hives and just destroy everyone. And that's, but that's like a good ending, right? Like that would be real cool because I I don't know how many people would be expecting that. I think that there are a lot of things in this format to explore. And I wish I had had more time after the, after Wilds of Eldraine came out to experiment a little bit more instead of just like, oh, we have a week and a half or whatever. It's just like, go time, find a deck, play the deck, tune the deck, learn the draft format. Worlds is happening in two days. Yeah, this is a very harsh time crunch for everyone competing in Worlds. Like, Wells Will Drink came out, like, what, two weeks ago? Something like that? Yeah, that sounds right. At least, you know, you know, like, you and Dom found out at the tail end of everybody who qualified for Worlds, like, oh, I get to go to Worlds. Like, at least, you know, this means that nobody was really advantaged in, in the amount of time they had to prep over over you guys. <laughs> yeah, just looking at this Abzan deck, it's... I mean, it's a it's an Orzov deck. It's just splashing for up the beanstalk and commune <laughs> with spirits to find up the beanstalk. That's it's very cute. You got to remember, Restless Cottage is a is a creature. Yeah, that's that's your win condition. Just the and, and one, one two Posages. Yeah, two Posages, great. It's for the bean mirror. There's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> leyline bindings and stuff like that running around. There's nothing wrong with a Posage who endures. Um, any other thoughts on standard or, you know, what, what you think might happen anything that we have kind of missed or do you want to move on? And we don't, we, we don't have to talk about limited for a long time, but I am interested in your thoughts on the format. I think that the format is going to be fun. And I think that the three year, the, the, the new rotation is, is a meaningful improvement. I certainly did not feel as bad just buying cards to have them in case I decided on deck X, Y, or Z, because I knew that, okay, they have another extra lease on life, and with standard RCQ season coming up, it was nice to be able, oh, okay, I'll just buy a bunch of stuff, and then when my friends are grinding RCQs, I can lend them stuff. So I think that's a really nice change from from that standpoint. Remains to be seen the full effect on the format itself, but certainly as a consumer confidence thing, just like buying brand new cards, it, it does feel a lot better to have them around for a little bit longer. All right, let's talk about draft. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just from the like general perspective of Wilds of Eldraine draft, we know that like the Jund colors are the strong colors, that like blue is generally considered not that good and white is you know okay but a little limited in what it can do and in particular like the seeded blue white archetype which is supposed to be this sort of like tap your opponent's creatures thing just like <laughs> kind of isn't actually present in the set which is a, a little bit of a a miss there uh so that's kind of the the general you know, obviously there's a lot more information of like what what is good, how to do things well, but that's kind of the color balance of the set, at least uh, in popular perception. Uh, what, you know, what has your kind of exploration brought you to? What do, what do you think about this format? From a like focus on color standpoint, yeah, you, you kind of hit it on the head. I typically like to bias towards red, both because I think it's the best color in the set and because it allows me to play magic the way that I like to play. I, I want to be attacking you. I want to be playing. I want to be working towards ending the game. And I think red in a number of different color pairs does that really effectively. 
I like the red-white deck a lot, even though, like, right, we've said that white is a little bit more limited. I think that, that red and white provides, in my opinion, the strongest color pair, just because it's... It, it takes what red does well and pushes it to the extreme with the celebration mechanic. Just throw out a bunch of guys onto the table, pump all of the... Uh, each of them are sort of pumping themselves with, like, Ash Party Crasher or Grand Ball Guest or, or whatever the, the celebration things are. I really like the Battle Garb. Uh, the two mana plus two plus zero equipment that auto equips if you trigger celebration. Uh, I've I found that I really like that card in in most red decks, but especially in red white that's trying to trigger celebration wholesale and red black because you have so many things that produce rats. Okay, yeah, I have not done a good. I I've I've like often looked at that card while I'm drafting and been like, eh, I don't know. I haven't I I haven't really tried it out yet, but I'll I'll give it a little more. I'll raise it up a little bit and, and, and try to get it in some decks and, and check it out for myself, for sure. Making rats real threats is yeah. really, really nice. For the other colors, I'm a big uh, Hamlet Glutton fan. Uh, I think that's the card name. The, the, the five mana 6-6. Six, six, well, seven mana 6-6, six, six, but it costs five mana when you bargain it, and it, it has trample and gains you three life when it comes into play. Yeah. Once again, even in this limited format, I am thinking about those beans. <laughs> I, if if available, I do like I I like the Simic deck. I think more than a lot of people do. Um, I see a lot of Troyans go late. That I'm like, ooh, yeah, deal to to accelerate out uh, Baluna's Gatekeepers and Hamlet Gli uh, Hamlet Gluttons as far as commons go. Just like just big guys that have some use, maybe a little bit earlier in the game in the court in in the case of. Uh, Baluna's Gatekeeper, Baluna's Gatekeeper, Obira's Attendance, the, the 5-mana 3-4 that adventures to give something minus 4, minus 0. Uh, I like those cards, I think, a little bit more than other people do. Especially if you can pick up, uh, it sort of, it was interesting. I was listening to Sam Black's Drafting Archetypes podcast, and he's talking about, uh, uh, the bargain blue strategy that, that, that he's, he's been working on, um, and he had said that he wasn't a fan, he wasn't as big of a fan of bleeding it with green, um, that, that he felt the, the bigger mana green deck didn't line up as well with that. I actually have found the, sort of the opposite to be the case, that I really like building hatching plans, Johan Stopgap Hamlet Glutton decks. Hmm. That, that's been my personal and, uh, I certainly am not as good at limited as Sam, um, but I I have certainly enjoyed that style of spend the first. It, it almost feels like an older blue base Tron style of deck. You're just trying to 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 push them back the first couple of turns and not feel too not fall too far behind. Ideally, while can tripping off of like a hatching plans or Johan stopgap, and then just start throwing giants at them. Um, I've found that that's been uh, a good approach and maybe not necessarily one that that uh, I've seen be as popular. Yeah, I mean, I think Hamlet Glutton is just so key to that plan as the like undercosted and also gains you the three life. Like I've definitely had aggressive decks that get like completely brick walled by that because it's like, oh, you went from nine life to 12 life. So attacking around the six, six, like I can do like four damage and you block, but I'm not ever going to be able to finish you off or, around this thing. So that that guy has been really key for like stop attacking me type decks. Yeah, I was I was actually going to mention that exact episode. I thought that that was a really helpful one to help because I I 
had been struggling a reasonable amount with the with drafting the blue decks. And I think actually like coming to some really similar conclusions to Sam, which is basically like all of the power in the blue decks comes from the uncommons. So you need blue to be open. And then once it is and you have access to those good uncommons, then it it can be great. But you got to be like pretty sure of yourself when you make that decision. I'm looking to open multiple copies of the Hellkite <laughs> in every one of my drafts and and just go from there. You're more of a Hellkiter than a Gruff Striplets. I, I I like red. I like dragons. I'm, <laughs> okay. I I'm never gonna be able to uh to beat the red mage allegations. Would you rather open the dragon or Imidane's recruiter? What's what what's that what's at your top of the I mean, list for red I, I, cards? If if I open both of them in the same pack, I'm taking the dragon. Sure. But I think it's a more reasonable hope to get an Imidane's recruiter. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the three mana two two that gives your team plus one plus oh in haste and also has an adventure on it that is much more rarely cast than the front side of it. But uh that card just deals lethal like basically every time I've ever seen it cast. A lot of times what you do is you have like a two drop that you adventured earlier or something like that. And your turn five is just like two drop Imidane's Recruiter, give everything haste, like swing for 14 or whatever. I mean, a lot has been said about this card. It is it's quite a quite a red uncommon, though. The other secret mode is just eight mana, nine damage. Right. <laughs> it does combo with itself really well in the late game. Trigger celebration if you uh, you need that. Yeah, and I, I I do completely agree with what you were saying about just like focusing in on the celebration. Like the and and I don't know where the the pick orders will land and stuff and like what changes at a high level like pod based draft, but I definitely have noticed stuff like the the two mana two two the red creature that gets plus one plus one and trample when you have celebration going surprisingly late even in like magic online drafts as opposed to like arena drafts which you know arena drafts are a little lower lower level but you know like a uh, grand ball guest that two two seems to be treated in some ways as just like generic red grizzly bear where in actuality, it like rumbles across and deals an enormous amount of damage if your your deck is built for it. So I wonder if like things change a little bit once you. I, I mean, what what was your testing structure for for getting drafts in? Like, how are you usually getting them in? So I I certainly have done more just arena drafts than anything else. I I I actually don't play very much Magic online. Mm-hmm. I mostly really most of my testing for uh, constructed is done in paper. I, mm-hmm. uh, at least with, I, I have a, we have a really good group of players in Roanoke. So I do a lot of in paper testing. Uh, I find that like, I've, I've heard of this in chess and I, I think I, I've sort of found this to be my experience with magic as well, that some players can't play chess as well online as they do physically, that they just don't see the board right mm-hmm. on a computer as, as compared to in paper. And I've actually found that that's sort of my experience with magic. I'll, oh, I'll miss an onboard trick here and there way more online than I will in paper. Um, but as for like online testing, I've, I've done like, I've done a fair amount of arena drafts. And then as a team, we've done pod drafts with each other. I don't know that I would say that it's felt appreciably different. It certainly seems like there's less of a difference 
in what decks I'm able to get together and, and stuff like that than there was with Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, it felt like there was a much wider gap. And I think that might just be due to, um, I think that Wiles of Eldraine is on average a stronger draft format in the sense that everyone's decks and everyone's cards are a little bit more powerful than I think they were in Lord of the Rings. Um, and so it's, it's right. Those differences are a little bit less obvious when you're playing your, like your 23rd card is your, your 23rd card in Wilds of Eldraine is much closer to your 10th card than your 23rd card was to your 10th in Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a higher level of consistency within your deck. And so you less like getting a card wrong in Lord of the Rings in your evaluation of it was like a much bigger deal than than getting a card a little bit wrong in, in wells of eldraine might be yeah and and especially like when in pod drafts you're finding that oh you have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for your playables a little bit more than you necessarily mm -hmm. do in like an arena draft or something i have found that the bottom of the barrel is not quite as painful to be scraping gotcha 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 yeah that all makes sense okay yeah, any uh, sleeper cards that you think are like maybe underrated at large? Anything that you're you you feel like you might be able to exploit a little bit when it comes time for the tournament? I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily say that there's a like any specific one that comes to mind. Um, I'm I'm going back through my own notes on it to. To see, um, I think we've all, or at least the majority of, of people have figured out that Archon's Glory is very good on um, the white combat trick, plus two, plus two, uh, if you bargain it, lifelink and flying, uh, that card is incredible. I mean, I think one of the keys to understanding the format is just understanding how low of a cost bargaining is, as long as you put a, a tiny bit of effort into enabling it, like, a, a lot of bargain cards just become incredible. Um, it's one card that I do think um, people sort of in general underrate is the Warehouse Tabby. I I'm not even necessarily reading... I I I'm not even necessarily focused on that first part. I, I just think a bad Typhoid Rats is still perfectly acceptable in <laughs> slower limited decks. It certainly is not going to be a first pick or anything like that, but it, I've, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of uh, I'm playing uh, a slower green-black X deck, and I'm just... My, like, like, right, it's it's a really good way to fill your curve over multiple turns, right? You can play the tabby on one. You don't necessarily feel like you need to play uh, a two-drop on two if you don't have one because you can just pass, hold up the tabby, and they don't want to attack into it, um, things like that. It, it sort of serves the role of filling your curve over multiple turns if you end up too heavy on threes, fours, and fives because you mm -hmm. just hold up the death touch. And then it disincentivizes your opponent from from doing anything other than um, developing their board, which obviously is a huge deal. But if they're not attacking you, it makes it a lot easier for your Hamlet gluttons to get you back in the game. Sure. Yep. Yep. Completely get that. Are you willing to draft like most of the color combinations if they end up being open or are you really trying to avoid some of the weaker ones? Are you like really hoping to just not be blue white or is there anything you're like not as experienced in that you would rather just not be troubled to have to draft? With the exception of blue white strictly 
no, I'm I'm cool drafting whatever seems open. And even with blue-white, I've done well with um a number of blue-white splashing Hamlet glutton decks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really in on this particular plan of like I'm a, I am giant a, I am gain some a life. big Hamlet. Like I either want to be attacking you or I want to be casting more than one copy of Hamlet glutton. Yeah. I mean that I I'm I'm in for that. Yeah, Ravenous Lindworm, the the Kaldheim, like six mana, six six. When it ETBs, you gain four life. Was like kind of a self contained archetype all on its own a little bit, and and uh, you know this is a five mana version of that with with Trample. So that's I, you know, I get it. Colossal Dread modified. It's like that. That's like evolving into crabs. The the carcinization thing where, where a bunch of different animals will evolve into crabs. <laughs> that's what magic that's what green commons are doing with Colossal Dreadmaw. Uh, yeah, Colossal Dreadmaw was the first. And they're all coming full circle. <laughs> God, if they don't reprint Colossal Dreadmaw in the Ixalan set, I don't care if it's underground. Just put it in there. It, it has to make it in. Yeah, the you know, the the ripples and your glass of water come as they're like holding their glass of water and walking through the cave and then you know colossal dreadmaw just bashes in through some side wall somewhere yeah the most believable fake spoiler for magic i have ever seen was like a new art of colossal dreadmaw just in ikoria as a common it's like oh yeah i can see that sure <laughs> all right well anything else that we should talk about jake have we missed anything that you've been thinking about heading into this tournament we covered beans, so I think that's I think that's the most important part. <laughs> beans and constructed, beans and limited, beans all around. Exactly. Yeah, just just a reminder to everyone, keep thinking about those beans. Jake, I we really, really appreciate you coming and hanging out. Uh best of luck. I I hope that your trip is smooth and I hope you have a fantastic tournament. Uh what's your I don't know. What what needs to happen this weekend to make you happy with your with your weekend? What what's your like basic number one goal? As long as I am in my seat drafting when I'm supposed to be in my seat drafting, it will have been a successful <laughs> weekend. I like I'm I'm not necessarily worried that I won't, but I just I, if if I get there and I get to play in the world championships, I'm like I know I'm going to sound exactly like I did in like the the interviews in Barcelona. I'm just really excited to be there. It's it's super cool to get to say you played in the world championships of anything and getting to do it in this game that I've loved for my entire life is just super super exciting to me. Awesome. Well, we look forward to watching you. Uh, I, yeah, I'm now much more hyped for this weekend than I was because I actually have a little, little bit of an understanding of the standard format and, you know, got somebody to root for and it should be a fun coverage weekend. And also I don't have to wake up at like three again to, to catch Jake playing magic. <laughs> That's true. Thank <laughs> you for having me. I really, I really appreciate uh, it. I love getting to, love getting to talk about magic and the process and how, uh, I'm just going to uh, open multiple copies of of the Hellkite, and it's all going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. No, yeah. no problem. Easy, easiest three o six o of your life. It'll probably be like a two one five and three or something. <laughs> well, it was just just the draft portion I was looking at. No, no, yeah, yeah, two one in matches, five three in games yeah. with two Hellkites in my bag. 
<laughs> oh, 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 gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Well, <laughs> fine. As long as if you come out of a draft at Worlds with two match wins, I think that you're just fine with how that went. So, For sure. Regardless of cards in your deck. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, really, really appreciate y'all hanging out. Really appreciate your time. Uh, usually you can check out this podcast recorded live on my stream, twitch.tv slash CCR underscore grindcast, though not this week because we had to, you know, wait until deck submission to get this one out. Uh, so check out the stream. Keep listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. Jake, thanks again. Thank Everybody, have a great week. Yeah. Bye, everyone.